You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Matt Dirogatis, welcome to Talking Theater Friends. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Can you share a little bit about uh, who you're playing in Kind of Hots and Roof and what makes this production special? Okay, so I'm playing the character of Brick in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Um, And you know what I have found is so funny about this experience is, you know, for me as someone who does theater um, and is is into the arts, it's, I mean, I just assume that everybody knows Tennessee Williams and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. But like when you're talking to, you know, sometimes just, you know, the average everyday person and they're, they're asking what show are you doing? You know, and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm brick and cat in a hot tin roof. And I expect them to know right away. Oh, the guy in the crutch, you know, the alcohol, I expect them to know the whole story. And it's like so many times I have found out, especially with the younger generation, uh, that they're, they're not aware of, of, of what it is. And to me, I think that is one thing that is what is making this production special is because we are, we've modernized the play. So, you know, it's not the standard 1955 production that you see everywhere. I always feel like when you look at still images from the play Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, they all look the same. The, the sets, they all look the same. Um, they're all dressed the same. Big Daddy has that Colonel Sanders look to him, you know. And it, there's that very flowery 1950s dialogue, especially with Maggie and her long, you know, speeches. And I think what has made this production special, number one, it's the first show to ever be um, off. It's the first production to ever be off Broadway. Um, it's the first time that the Tennessee Williams estate has has granted off Broadway rights to Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Um, number two, we've modernized it. And I think that is what's making it accessible to a new generation. You know, we find there's a lot of younger people in the audience that are seeing it for the first time. And our our director, uh, Joe Rosario, you know, he's like a politician after the show talking to everybody. Hey, what'd you think? What'd you, what'd you think, you know? And we're finding that a lot of the young people really love it. Also, I wanna say, uh, another thing that is just making this quite interesting is it's very divisive. Um, You've got that old guard that, you know, they love their Burl Ives bobblehead doll, you know, and it's like they they can't seem to let go of like what this play should be. And we're we've kind of like 
We have not changed the dialogue. You know, we, we edited it a little bit just to take out references to 1910 and, and things like that that wouldn't make sense for an updated version with the permission from the estate. But um, yeah, it's divisive. You know, you're finding that people are like, wow, this is a revelation. Like this is this is how it should be done from now on. And then you've got people that are like, what, what have you done to this masterpiece? You know what I mean? And to me, that's that's cool that people are so passionate about it. If, if they if they walk out of the theater not feeling anything, then I feel like we didn't do our job. But if they walk out feeling like, oh, God, I couldn't stand what they did or, oh, my God, this is incredible. You have to see it. Um, and so I think that's what's making it a very special production as well. And um, it's our second run. You know, we got the first ever rights for the off-Broadway and then we got the first ever off-Broadway um, engagement uh, for Cat in a Hot Tin Roof. So by the time we're done running this on March 31st, it'll be close to 80 performances. So it'll be real, really great um, off-Broadway run. And I know oh, that, that's wonderful. Yeah. And I know that I kind of glossed over the, the character that I played, um, but I play Brick um, and he's a former ex-football star and uh he has this questionable relationship with his friend Skipper, who has died. He committed suicide, and uh, while not the only thing going on the going on in the play, uh, certainly the what's orbiting Brick is you know the the whispers of this relationship with Skipper, uh, the possible homosexual. Uh, relationship that they may have had even though he's married to this beautiful woman Maggie and he won't sleep with her and a lot of people feel that you know Brick and Skipper had this homosexual relationship but what I think is so great about the character of Brick it's pretty obvious in the text that Skipper had these feelings for Brick but Brick is like Hamlet you could play him in so many different ways. There's not one way to just play him. It's ambiguous. And that's what I love about the character is like, you could watch somebody play it, make a 100% choice that he is, and then watch a character play it and make a 100% choice that he's not. And I'm, I'm referring to uh, a gay man. Um, and that's what makes the character so interesting is you can approach it from so many different angles. Right, because a character like Brick is, you know, like it's kind of, you know, not even kind of, it's totally like one of those characters that you have commented before that you have been dying to play this character for the longest time. But I'm sure that there are actors, for instance, who are probably intimidated by someone like Brick because they are like Hamlet. They are like, you know, King Lear. They're this like larger than life characters that uh, people, you know, like uh, once, for instance, that you watch Paul Newman as Brick opposite Elizabeth Taylor, for so many actors, I'm sure it's, it's this thing where you're like, how can I top this performance? But for you, obviously, it's not about that. It's about the different approach. So how did you access your version of Brick? What made you, you know, how did you find the nuance so people don't need the Paul Newman reference after they see your uh, performance? Yeah. Um, so the one thing that I would say about my character of Brick versus many other uh, variations. And I, I admittedly, I've never seen the movie and I have never seen um, any staged version of Cat in a Hot Tin Roof. So I have no Brick to reference other than my own. Um, and I kind of intentionally did that because I always knew someday I'm going to play this role and I want a clean, I want it clean slate, you know? Um, and 
what I'm finding through feedback reviews and such is many times people play this uh, brick character very passive, you know, boozy, almost like in a sedated comatose type blankness to him, you know, and my brick is a violent, angry drunk. And I think that just adds a lot more tension to scenes and makes things a little bit more of a wild roller coaster ride, you know, rather than me just sort of sitting there glass eyed, like, oh, what'd you say, Maggie? Water was on so loud I couldn't hear you. You know, you know what I mean? Um, so there's there's much more uh I think pathos and animation to to my brick because you know, not everyone who's drunk is this, you know tired sleepy glassy eyed person i mean a lot of drunk people can get when they get drunk they can be nasty uh they could be mean and and that's the route that i went with with brick um for no other reason because again i didn't have anything to reference it from it's not like i consciously said well everyone plays him this way i'm going to play him this way it was just throughout my researching of brick and diving into him psychologically and and really living with the character for like three years because we had five COVID cancellations. I mean, this show was supposed to go up in, in uh, 2020. So it seemed like every time we thought we were getting ready to do it and I was preparing for it, it was like, oh, we have to push it back six months. And then it was like, we're getting closer to that six month date that we pushed it back to. And it's like, oh, now we got to push it back six months. So it just kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And you just keep living with the character and discovering new things. Um, and as someone who has a, a very uh, strong interest in psychology, um, I always like to approach my characters like almost as like a psychologist. What's going on with this person? Uh, you know, because really great, interesting characters. You had mentioned King Lear. Um, they're not normal people. They've got a lot of dysfunction and things going on that could lend itself to personality disorders or, you know, afflictions. And, you know, if you really study that kind of behavior, you can incorporate it then into your character, which is, to me, that that's the most fun part of acting is like looking at this character as if he is a person coming to see a psychologist for help. And it's like, you're trying to figure out, okay, what's he got going on? What's his family like? What was his upbringing would have been like? What's, what are people saying about him in the play? How is he acting? Um, and then you kind of make this little diagnosis. And then when you get the diagnosis, then you start researching what you think he may have going on. And then you start incorporating that into the character. So to me, that's the greatest part about acting is that psychological deep dive in, into the into the character which i again i had three years to do it on, on brick he's been my patient for three years now <laughs> how would you say the brick that you're playing today is different than the brick you would have played three years ago because something about hat is that in so many ways it's completely almost like a two-hander right like obviously everyone loves big daddy and like but most of the play is really maggie and brick in a room which and this like really fucked up, even, I don't know, like weird kind of way, it's almost like a perfect pandemic play because we were all forced to be, you know, dealing with whoever we live with. Like, fortunately, I live by myself for most of the time. But, yeah. you know, just the isolation uh, that you find between, 
you know, the space and the loneliness that exists between Brick and Maggie, even when they're in the same room, it's just like really heartbreaking. So if you ever go and look at the notes that you took three years ago, how has Brick evolved and how has he changed from the Brick they're playing today? Yeah, I mean, she has a line that she says to to him in the play, you know, I'm not living with you. We occupy the same cage, you know, so it's like that's pretty much you, you hit the nail on the head with that. Um, you know, the one thing that you can't predict, you can do as much preparation as you want, right, on a character, but you have to work opposite someone else. So I could have this idea of what I want the scene to look like or Brick to be, but it's not always going to be that because I have to react to what the other person is giving me. So I just feel that I have to know who this guy is. And then in any situation that I'm on the stage, react accordingly to all the deep work that I've done on this character. And, you know, I think for a large part of that three-year period, we didn't have it cast completely. And it changed. Directors changed. Casting changed. Because when you keep pushing stuff back, people move out of the city or people, you know, uh, they end up having conflicts because they were like, well, I thought I was doing this with you in 2020 and I made this commitment for this show in 2022. So it was kind of like a puzzle trying to figure it out. We brought in a new director, Joe, um, new, new cast members, uh, for the July production that originally were supposed to be different when we did it in 2020. So a lot of the work that I did on brick was by myself. Uh, because I did not know who I'd be working opposite. The more time that we had, the more of an opportunity I had to keep just diving further, you know? So if it was going to go up on March 20, I would not have been able to have done this vast psychological profile of the character because, you know, I might have only had three or four months to prepare from the, the last show that I was doing where which was the glass menagerie ironically we did that and then we were supposed to go right into cat in a hot tin roof i'm a tennessee williams fan as i'm sure you've gathered um so yeah it would have absolutely been different uh because i would not have acquired all of this psychological stuff uh and and the production itself would have been so much different it was originally supposed to take place downtown at wild project which is a great little theater um down near alphabet city in the east village and the budget wasn't as big as it is but you know through the pandemic and the postponements being a nonprofit, we got a lot of grants we got a lot of support uh we have a gaming license because we are a, a, a non-profit so we do raffles I mean, we raised like $100,000 just in raffle tickets, you know? Uh, so we had all of this time to make this a much bigger production. So not only would my character of Brick been different, and I mentioned I'm, I'm the lead producer on the, on the play as well. So I have so many things that I'm, I'm concentrating on. Not only did the character change, but the whole production changed, you know? And the bigger the budget, it's like, okay, well, let's move this into Midtown. And, uh, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is kind of a, a bigger deal now. We're in a bigger theater. And then, you know, we went out and we got, you know, some names to play uh, 
various roles in the summer production. We had a big billboard in Times Square. Uh, and then when we got the re-engagement, we made some cast changes. We brought back some new names again. Um, and we currently have a billboard running in Times Square right now. Um, so the whole dynamic, I, I always say that the pandemic was actually the best thing that happened to this production because it gave us so much time to um, raise more money, make the show bigger. And it gave me a lot more time to just go deeper and deeper into brick. And what's interesting for me is in the summer production, I worked opposite. My two main scene partners are, as you said, you know, Big Daddy and Maggie, Maggie Act One, Big Daddy Act Two. And we made a lot of cast changes coming back for this run that we're doing right now. And particularly the roles of Maggie and Big Daddy. So I have everything that I was doing in the summer, the comfortability that I got with those scene partners changed because we brought in two totally different scene partners for me, which has now then created almost a, a different brick because I'm I'm reacting off of people that are giving me different things than I got in in the summer. So it's like it's still brick, but it's still the guy, the character that I created from the summer. But you're now seeing different sides of him because of what I'm getting, you know. And I think sometimes these actors, uh, they have it in their head of a certain way that they want to play the scene. And they get thrown off guard if their scene partner is doing something that they didn't anticipate. And I see it happen so often, even with very accomplished actors. They're just very set in how they want the scene to go. And, you know, the one piece of advice that I would give is reacting is the most important part of acting. Like you have to know who your character is, but you have to you cannot go into a scene uh, thinking that it's, it's got to look a certain way. Because then it's just going to make the performance stale, mechanical. It's got to be alive. And when you get scene partners that are also doing what you're doing, creating new moments every night, that's what makes it fun. Because it's like you go to a show on a Thursday and then as an audience member, you come back a week later and you're like, wow, this was a totally different show. And it's because, you know, you're reacting to different things. You're discovering new moments. And uh I don't even know how I got to this place from the original question, <laughs> but, but basically the process uh, has, has elevated this, this show. Um, the three years has just, I think, done a great service to the production and the people in it and our group, Ruth stage. Um, you know, certainly we've uh, gotten a lot more street cred, uh, you know, pre pandemic. Uh, now we're the first group ever to do cat in a hot tin roof and, first group to ever do cat in a hot tin roof and in the glass menagerie. So I'm trying to get streetcar now and see if we can do the triple crown. But you have played Stanley in the past, right? I've played him in the past, but it was a regional production. It wasn't uh, in New York city. So I want to, I want to do the all three in New York city. So we'll see. Okay. You want the, the NYC triple crown, but um, if you don't mind, I want to get like a little bit like, uh, psychology, like nerdy for a second. And yeah. you have mentioned that Brick was, you know, the last character that you were missing to play the Holy Trinity of, I don't know, like unholy or holy, I don't know. The, uh, let's call it the Trinity of uh, Brick, Tom, yeah. and Stanley. And like in so many ways, because of the ways in which Tennessee Williams writes his characters and like how he approaches masculinity, it's almost like you're playing different versions of like, you know, like one could be like Ed, 
the other's ego, the other's super ego. Yeah. Like they have this like incredible qualities that perfectly fit each of this, uh, you know, uh, psychological, what are they? Uh, you know, the Freudian states, right? Of yeah, the, sure, right. Of consciousness. So can you comment a little bit about, you know, not only the physicality of the characters, but am I seeing, you know, does that parallel make sense to you as well? Like they are I, I, ego, I've, super ego. Yeah, I mean, I've always said to Joe, especially during the process of me really examining Brick, I feel like Tennessee Williams really understood psychology very, very well. I mean, he he just captures these these traits within these people and these family dynamics. And it's like you can like literally sit there and say this person 100 percent has this personality disorder. And, and Tennessee Williams knew that he had this personality disorder somehow because they've got all these little things that they're doing that just fit perfectly into what you would, you know, consider this this type of personality disorder. So I feel that Tennessee Williams understood psychology of human behavior better than any playwright that that I have ever read. So that that's one thing. Um and it's it it's possible I'm being prisoner of the moment because I am playing brick and I have done it so many times now and I've grown such an affinity for this character in this play. But I was talking to a, a friend recently in um, who works for CBS, and he's a he's a supporter of the show. We met him last summer when he covered the show, and he loved it. But what he said to me when he saw it just this past Sunday at opening, he's like, you know, I always thought of Cat in a Hot Tin Roof as the third of the Tennessee Williams trinity, as you said. You know, he's like, I always thought Streetcar, Menagerie, and Cat. And he's like, and now that I'm seeing what you guys are doing and I'm understanding this play and it's so clear and the psychology of it all with all these different characters, he's like, I, I think Cat is his best work. And it was Tennessee famously was his favorite play that he wrote, Cat in a Hot Tin Roof. And there, there is such a psychology going on with Brick, um, even more so than, than some of those other characters. Um, you know, Stanley... I mean, of course, it's an iconic character, you know, but he's a bit one note, I think, Stanley, you know, he's he's a bit of like this just this this gorilla in the room, you know, and it, and it works, you know, um, but of the three main roles, you know, Tom Brick, Stanley, for me, I, I put Stanley number three, number three. Um, the Glass Menagerie is such a wonderful play and such an intimate portrait of a of a of a dysfunctional family, which Tom, I mean, Tennessee captures so well, also in Cat in a Hot Tin Roof. Um, and Tom's got a lot of things certainly going on as well, but not like Brick. Uh, Brick's just got so much going on, and the the physicality of the role is like its whole other. It, like the crutch is like it's a whole other character, you know. Um, and then he's got this, this, uh, this alcoholism that he's dealing with. And then he's dealing with his, his best friend who, you know, some people think was his lover that he was in love with. Maybe it was just his really close friend that he leaned on because he comes from such a dysfunctional family. You know, you've got, you know, certainly a, a very odd 
relationship with his mother. It's almost edible, you know? I mean, she calls him my precious baby. And, you know, I've Maggie says something to Big Mama like, oh, you know, the door's locked because, you know, Brick's, Brick's not dressed. You know, he's not dressing yet. And, you know, she's like, well, that's it won't be the first time I've seen Brick not dressed. And, you know, then she asked Maggie, you know, do you make Brick happy in bed? You know, so it's like there's just like if my mother ever said to my girlfriend, do you make Matt happy in bed? I'd be like, Mom, you know, <laughs> so there's just, just like this weird Oedipal thing going on. And then Big Daddy, certainly uh, a, a narcissistic personality disorder so to me brick is not just a guy suffering from the friend of his suicide there's an infidelity from his wife um you know maggie slept with skipper to try to find out if he, he and brick had something going on everyone views maggie as like the hero of the play but i'm always like whoa we're missing like this really big thing that she did that was pretty fucked up it's like Oh, people say Brick won't sleep with her because he's gay. Well, no, I think he won't sleep with her because of what she did. Like, I wouldn't want to sleep with my girlfriend either if she was, you know, seducing my best friend um, and went through with it to try to find out if him and I had this, you know, homosexual relationship. So there's just so many things going on with Brick. And you, if you try to examine like the family that he came from and you know what what the environment that he grew up in and then of course having all these responsibilities as a, as a star athlete and the pressures of being a, a a celebrity and um and then the raw it's just so raw it's so raw this play you know it's barbaric he's he's in a in our production you know he's in a walking boot because it's modern so he's not in a plaster cast he's in a walking boot it's not a wooden crutch it's in a, it's an aluminum crutch but between all of that psychological stuff going on with him, then, you know, I've got liquor in my hand all throughout the night. I'm hobbling around on one crutch. I'm using it as a weapon at points. I'm falling because I've only got one good leg and I'm half drunk and I've got these confrontations with these people. And there's this one scene at the end of act one where I'm, I'm chasing Maggie with the crutch and, you know, I take one good swing and then I'm, 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 I'm done, you know, because I've, I got a broken ankle. So I'm just kind of crawling chasing her with the crutch um so for me the the uh you mentioned freud of course going back to the whole oedipal thing with with big mama but the really the real character that he's created i think for a male is from a real deep psychological perspective is brick you know i think with a woman Blanche is certainly something that a woman could have a field day, you know, uh, doing like a psychological psychological profile of Blanche, you know, in streetcar. Um, but I really think that Brick is his greatest male character that he's ever created because he's added this component of the man being, uh, you know, on one leg, hopping around on a crutch, suffering from alcohol, and then all this other stuff going on. It's a psychological dream for someone like me who loves to, again, it's like Hamlet. I mean, you have so much to, to just dig in, you know, it's like with Hamlet. Well, why can't he kill Claudius? You know, what are the reasons, you know? So there's, there's, there's so many ways to approach Brick and it's just, I just think it's such a wonderful character. Have you ever broken a foot or have you ever had to wear crutches for a, a certain amount of time? Uh, I never had to do that, but, uh, quick little story when i was a teenager i'm a big pro wrestling fan we uh we had a backyard wrestling league uh 
And uh, it got quite popular in my high school days to the point that Home Depot donated um, about $2,500 in material for us to make our own wrestling ring. And we made it, but it didn't have any give to it. Like it was like a wooden base. And we were used to, you know, jumping off ladders onto like mattresses and stuff. So the first night that we had our first like quote unquote event with the ring, I was on the top of a ladder and I jumped off to do like a, a like a splash, if you know what that means uh, in wrestling. It's like, you know, just sandwiching the guy off the top of the ladder. Um, and I found out the hard way that the uh, the ring had no give to it, like the mattress and just shattered my wrist and had surgery and, you know, was in a, a cast for like close to three months because it was like six the first six weeks they put me in a cast in hopes that they didn't have to give me surgery and then it just didn't heal right and so then they had to go in and operate and then another six weeks I had to wear the cast so that's that's the only bone knock on wood I mean I did break my nose in that same sequence um but that was not as bad as the wrist so yeah that's the only time like I said knock on wood that I've had to break that I broke anything but I mean it was it was my right hand, you know, and I was in college at the time. So it, I had to have the girl next to me in class take notes on like this, like liquid paper where like she would write and it would seep through, you know, because I'm just like, walking around <laughs> like this. So I do know what it's like to have a, a limb, you know, totally incapacitated, but, you know, thankfully not, not a leg. I'm actually recovering from a fractured foot. And before you feel like really, you know, like before you feel too sorry for me, I've spent, I've spent like two years of my life, but in non-consecutive periods, wearing crutches, uh, using crutches and wearing casts. And the, yeah, and I'm not even a pro wrestler. Like I've only had like really, really silly accidents. But yeah. the powerlessness. Well, I'm not a pro wrestler. Being... <laughs> I want to you know, the <laughs> I mean, you've tried and you're much better shape probably than I am but the uh powerlessness of not being able to just like you know go to the bathroom and go to the kitchen and get yourself a drink or get yourself a glass of water it's just like really fucked up it just really messes with you like while recovering from my latest fracture and you know having to depend on crutches to do everything I also I mean drinking just comes so easy because it's like it's so frustrating and it's like this Paralysis can lead to like either just sadness or complete anger. So when have you discovered about yourself, you know, just playing someone who can't move with freedom? Because it, you know, you you do it on stage and you've seen it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Well, you know, another thing that I want to touch on um, in terms of I never broke my foot, but one night in the middle of the night back in 2019, I think it was. I woke up and my foot was in such excruciating pain. And I was like, I must have kicked the wall in the middle of the night and broke my foot somehow. And I could not walk. And I had a roommate at the time that was not around to like get me to the hospital. And I somehow got myself in the car, drove to the hospital. And when I tell you, it literally took me like 45 minutes to walk from the parking spot to the emergency room. It did. And it turned out that I had gout and she looked at it and she's like, oh, I know what you got. Cause I'm thinking I broke my foot. 
And she's like, it's, it's all swollen. I mean, I have pictures of it. It's like, it was like the elephant, man. It was like, it was, my foot was like three times the size of the other. I'm like, what the fuck did I do? And it, it felt like someone like cut open my foot, like stuck a wood slat in it and sewed it back up. Like, that's what it felt like, that there was just like this piece of wood inside of my, my foot. And it turned out that it was gout and she gave me like a couple of pills and it was gone within an hour. It was like unbelievable. But that I certainly can, you know, reference like what that felt like. Um, and to your question, I think the word agitation describes it best because, you know, obviously you want to be as believable as possible when you're on the stage. You don't want to just all of a sudden walk normal for three seconds, you know, because the audience will spot that. They'll be like, oh. He broke character. You know what I mean? He just walked totally normal there. So you have to be so conscious of it the entire play that you have a broken ankle. And, you know, we have steps and to go out into the gallery and I can't just walk up the steps normally. I'm, I'm like hopping, you know, it's like I'm jumping. And it's like, by the time I get to the top of that steps, I'm like, I'm a little agitated because it's like, it took a lot out of me to hop up those, those steps, doing it every single night and then falling three or four times a night because of the confrontations that I'm having and being on one foot, the injuries that I have. I mean, I've got bruises and, and cuts all over me, you know? Um, so it just, it just adds to the agitation because I, I'm in physical pain during the show because of having to be on a crutch and my back is all you know sort of angled one way and I'm I'm falling and one night I land wrong on my knee and you know now oh shit I'm bleeding again at intermission you know so you want to make it as, as realistic as possible uh and I think you know a lot of people have said like how how intense this play is and you know you want to give the audience as, as real of as an experience as you possibly can and sometimes you know like you got to sacrifice your body in order to do that. And I'm finding out that it is getting harder and harder every night to do it. I mean, I had substantial injuries from the summer production and then I did cryotherapy to heal it all. And I did. And uh, injuries aren't as bad this time around because I'm, I'm, I'm falling different than I, than I did in the, the summer production. Um, but yeah. Uh, agitation is a great word to use and exhaustion. Uh, you know, by the time the show is ending, you know, the character brick just kind of collapses on the bed into Maggie's arms. And so does Matt, <laughs> Matt collapses on the bed as well, because by the end, I'm just like, I am so, cause I'm the only character that doesn't leave the stage. You know, I don't, I don't get like a, you know, 45 minute break to sit and chill while there's a big scene going on. Like I'm, I'm in the big scenes. So I don't ever really leave the stage and whether I'm active in the scene or up on the gallery, I'm always hobbling around going up flights and, you know, I'm crawling, you know, to try to get my crutch back. And it's a lot, it's a lot, but it's fun, you know? So once you, I hope, fingers crossed, you get to play Stanley in, in New York city and having completed the Holy Trinity of Williams's, you know, men, what's on your bucket list then? Like, who do you want to play next? Well, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to play some great roles. And as someone who has sort of taken his career into his own hands by just, I mean, I haven't been on an audition in 10 years. I don't want an agent. I don't want anything to do with that side of the business because I feel like I would hate it so much. 
Um, I feel like it would just suck the life out of me. It'd be so, so soul sucking. So it's really like my mentality has been like, okay, well, you know what? I've decided that I don't want to work in your restaurant. I'm just going to open my own. And I know that it's going to be a lot more difficult because I've got to like hire the chef and create the menu and create the cocktails and hire the bartenders and, you know, design the the, the architecture and, you know, the food and order everything. And it, essentially that's what it is that I'm doing. I'm, I'm doing all of these different things. Um, when I started doing this sort of self-producing back in 2014, I had, you know, budgets of, you know, $500 to get to do the show, you know, and then it became, oh, now I have $1,500 to do it. And then it was like, oh, now I have 5,000. And then it's like, oh, now we have 16,000. And then and now we have 40, you know, now we have 200,000. So for me, I don't necessarily have any new characters that I'm looking forward to playing as much as I am excited about revisiting characters and productions that I believe in, that I felt were good, that I want to be able to bring to this next level that we've gotten Cat on a Hot Tin Roof to, which is, a, you know, we're in, it's a major off-Broadway production now. So I, I, I want to revisit the roles that I did in 2017, 18, that we didn't have the budgets for, that were well-received, that maybe we only ran 12 performances, you know, in a small 50-seat theater or something. Um, so Lone Star by James McClure, um, and certainly a version of Richard III that I did with Austin Pendleton. Um, those are the two things that are very fresh on my mind once we wrap up this whole cat on a hot tin roof experience. And then we'll see if the Williams estate will grant us permission to do streetcar. Um, but those would probably be the three that are on my mind, going back to Richard III, going back to Roy in Lone Star, and then the opportunity to play Stanley. And the good thing is the play Lone Star was a success, a small success, because again, budgetary constraints, because it was a success, I've developed a relationship with the, the estate of the James McClure who passed. And, uh, you know, they they basically have said, you know, you have the rights whenever you want to do it. And then, of course, Shakespeare is public domain. So I know that I can go right into either one of those two productions uh, after Cat. And that kind of is the plan as we wait to see if they'll give us Streetcar. And then, of course, you know, there's this off chance that depending on how successful this run goes, uh, there are some interest from Broadway houses to bring Cat to Broadway. So we'll have to wait and see. There's some things that are holding that up right now. Um, but that is definitely also something that would be be great to do, bring Cat, Cat and a Hot Tin Roof to Broadway. So between those four scenarios, I should be pretty busy the next couple of years because they take months and months to build and fundraise. I mean, it's not like I'm going to be um, you know, back on the stage again in, in May or something, because like I said, I'm doing my own stuff. So cat will end. I'll take a little vacation and then we'll figure out what the next show is and start building that over the next six months. If you had the opportunity to have a drink with Tennessee Williams, I mean, if you had a time machine, I guess as well, what would you want to talk to him about? Like, do you have any questions about brick that you would love to have Tennessee answer? Well, it's funny because I read an interview recently 
But I mean, you know, the the one question that I would probably want to ask him is, but I know the I know the answer to this, but I only recently found it out. Um, I'd say, well, what do you think of that relationship with Brick and Skipper? When you wrote Brick, do you think that he and Skipper had a love affair? Do you think that Brick is a gay character? Um, that would definitely be something that I'd want to know. Um, because I think people just assume that he is, but I feel like there's a lot that you could look that could point to the contrary. Um, and again, I think that's what makes the character, you know, so, so fascinating. I mean, that would be a question that, that, that I would want to ask him. And I think <clears throat> just hanging out with him would be cool enough for me, you know? Um, I think he's the greatest playwright of all time. Uh, I'm also a very big Shakespeare fan, but also being a conspiracy theorist, and I'm I'm an admitted conspiracy theorist. Um, there is a conspiracy that Shakespeare didn't write those plays, and that maybe someone else did, or maybe it was a collaboration amongst many people. So we don't really know if Shakespeare wrote all those plays. I know people want to believe it, and I would like to believe that one man wrote all of these like incredible works. And I, I kind of think that one man may have, but I don't know if it was Shakespeare. I don't know if it was actually William Shakespeare, but I think someone did write those plays. Um, so they're the two best, you know, in my opinion, um, Shakespeare and, and Tennessee Williams, you know, they're like one and one A. So just to be able to sit down and have a drink with Tennessee Williams would, would be great. But I think that would be a question that uh, I would like to ask him. And I would also probably say something along the lines of what kind of story would you write in 2023, you know, because he was a very edgy, rebellious kind of guy, which is in our group is very edgy and rebellious. I mean, you look at our logo, it's like a skull, you know, people think we're like a motorcycle gang or something. It's like we're a, we're a theater group. So it's like I, I, I would want to know how how would you push the envelope? in 2023 in the way that you were able to do it back in the the 40s and 50s and you know and even in the 30s with glass menagerie so like what what would you do now that could be so just incredible in the way that you were able to write these plays at the time that were really so ahead of their time that's why he he's so prominent today and i think that's also what makes you know i can't speak for the tennessee williams estate all I know is that they support us and that they were very happy with our summer production. But I can't help but think that what has made Shakespeare last 500 years is the ability to adapt his plays into different versions. I mean, you know, you could have Hamlet, uh, you know, in the underworld. You could stage Macbeth in hell if you wanted to. You could have you know, King Lear on planet Mars, you can do whatever you want with it, you know? And I think we're getting to a point now where you can have some fun with Tennessee Williams's plays as well. Like they don't have to just be set in the time that they were, they, they were written because the themes, they're universal. I mean, dysfunctional family, homosexuality, uh, racism, bigotry, greed, families fighting over wills, adultery, sibling rivalries, narcissism. I mean, it's all 2023, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not just relevant in 1955. And I think bringing it in to a modern context kind of opens the door now for this play to have 
a whole series of new interpretations from other groups if they wanted to sort of take it out of the 1950s and, and, and make it modern or even place it in the 80s or something, you know, you can, you can now, you, you, it doesn't have to just be 1955. And I think, like I said, we've gotten to a point where Tennessee Williams' plays have been around for, you know, close to 100 years, um, that now's the time to have fun with the plays in the way that people are with Shakespeare. And then he'll, he'll, he'll last for four or 500 more years in the same way that Shakespeare has. I mean, having lived uh, in Brooklyn before moving to Madrid, I was off the D train and I always imagined myself as almost like a Blanche kind of figure. I'm like, there's a production of like, not streaker, but you know, like I guess the D train or something like made right. yeah. way to happen someday. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it, you know, one day there might be a D train named desire, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> thank you so much matt would you like to invite our viewers or listeners to come see uh pat yeah so it's playing at the theater at st clement's uh 423 west 46th street midtown manhattan it's in the hell's kitchen area between 9th and 10th avenue um to get tickets they're available on telecharge but you could also go to our our website which is ruthstage.org ruth like the woman's name uh r-u-t-h stage s-t-a-g-e dot org slash cat and that's got all the information on the production the tv spots we've had some some reviews uh the cast information a link to get tickets it's a fun website uh so i encourage uh listeners to check it out and you can also go to telechargeoffers.com and put in the promo code CAT, C-A-T, 23, and you can get a discount on any seat for the remainder of the run as well, so. And I guess it's never been more appropriate to say this to someone, but, you know, the guy playing break, but break a leg. Exactly. <laughs> the rest of the run. Hey, thank you so much, Jose. I had a great time and uh, look forward to chatting with you again soon. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.